Welcome to episode two. So coming up today in our podcast, uh, we're going to look at Bros, a three-piece boy band from South London, um, from the Peckham area, whose flame burned very bright, but very briefly. And we're also going to be discussing what actually is a boy band. So that's today on I'm I'm with the the Boy Boy Band. Band. Listeners are advised that this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. So catch me up. What have you been up to this week, Amy? Mm, Well, I'm still deep in (laughs) O-Town territory. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, smutty laugh time. Do you know what? (laughs) I really like them. I I don't... I mean, we'll find out when we get to our O-Town episode what happened next, but... I do really like them and I think they're not without talent and yeah so almost at the end of series one of making the band which was time that for me like when are we because I think I was a bit past making the band I think at that point I was well into being at an indie chicken festivals definitely and I'd catch it on a Sunday morning but I wasn't oh I have to see this every week so yeah. I'm a bit so it started in 99 and yeah. then by the end it was 2000 okay. so so you're deep in that I've I've been doing bros all week I've been having a look at bros it uh it expands into loads of other things I want us to explore at some point so there's obviously a lot of Tom Watkins stuff in there um it looks at Tom Watkins at the pet shop boys as well I had completely yes. forgotten that yes but it also this is me at peak teenager so Bross really peaked around 88, 89-ish, so I um, have spent last night watching the Smash It's Pole Winners Party from 1989. Nice. It was brilliant. Nice. Um, (laughs) Were you actually there at the time? I was there, I was there. I was probably about halfway back down the arena. I think we were at the front of section two. Right. I vividly remember where we were. Um, It had Nina Cherry there. Oh, my God. Um, And and some people, I was kind of like, oh, my God, I've forgotten about them. So, the London boys... I had completely forgot. Okay, the London so Boys. that's ringing a bell. Um, don't ask me to name the track. Um, but it also was, it crossed over my two. So my first boy band, which is Bros, and it was New Kids were there as well. So oh, they, of course, but they, they were. brought them on halfway through. So it kind of gives you a, a bit of an idea as to kind of where everyone was in the grand scheme of things. And um, Big Fun also played. Oh at my them. god! And last Big week Fun. I had said, "Oh, Pete Woman never had a boy band, did he?" Big fun. Okay, well, that that kind of leads us on then to uh, another little, like, area we need to cover, which are um, a few things that we need to get corrected from our previous episode. So we're just going to run through those now. Um, Why don't you start, Zoe? Uh, It's primarily been highlighted that I have absolutely no clue about what happened in my previous life. (laughs) And um, I... Also, a little bit when I was doing the, the Bross research as well, it came up that um, where I'd said I'd met them when I was 12, it would it's a year later, so I thought I'd met them in 86. It actually turns out it's 87, so it puts everything a year back. So it doesn't really affect everything, but it just actually... It just means that you're older than you thought you were. Uh, apparently so, yes. <laughs> but what you'll find out, I know you're younger than I am, but what you'll find out <laughs> is that when you get to my age, it just all... <laughs> Everything blends into one, really. Mm, I'm like, so young. I, I have no idea what day of the week it is right now. 
Not a clue. No. Um, I've worked uh, 30 shifts in the last 28 days. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I can't help it. Um, but well, yeah, so... Well, well, one of the things that I kept doing in the last episode was saying, next year, next year, next year. I think we're 2019. We so... absolutely are Okay, so every single time in the last episode, go back, re-listen. Every time I say next year, I mean this year. Don't bother doing that, but... Yeah, it just seems a bit of a task for the listener. Yeah. Just, uh, I was also questioned on... Um, I sent this out to one of my American friends. Yes. Um, who questioned me about my reference to Hanging Tough being New Kids' first album. Yes. I'd like to point out that I'm absolutely correct. <laughs> um, just because you guys in the US <laughs> so had uh, New Kids on the Block... As their first album. And I'd also like to point out at this juncture, you ignored it and hated it, and it was a bit of a flop for them. Is that the uh, one where they were wearing the woolly jumpers on the yes, cover? Yes, yes, And where Joe Sexy. looks like he's about four. He was. Yeah. Um, so that that was the first one in the US. Absolutely right. Thank you very much for your feedback there. But over here, uh, their first album was Hanging Tough. And yeah. then they did, um, they released New Kids on the Block for us. I think it actually came as maybe their third or maybe fourth. So we... It definitely came after Step by Step. Yeah. It may have also came after Merry Christmas. I don't know if we're counting the Christmas album as an actual album. I mean... Um, but it means... I actually <laughs> had Step by Step on cassette. Oh, I did, did. yeah. I even it knew was, all the steps. We're talking pre-CD here as well, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I need to stop saying absolutely and also need to stop saying epic. And I need to stop saying also... <laughs> Anyway, that's <laughs> so that's it. So we're going to launch straight into our um, what what constitutes a boy band? What makes a boy band? Why are boy bands boy bands and not band bands? So um, that's coming up next. Okay, so we are, as promised, going to look at uh, what is a boy band. Um, what is a boy band, Zoe? Okay, so I've put together a list of criteria for us to discuss, and we just need to now decide whether or not they're essential to being a boy band. Like, if you don't have this, you're not a boy band. Okay. Or if they're an optional extra. Like, if it's something that kind of... It's great in a boy band, but it doesn't... You don't have to have this to be a boy band. Got it. So, number one, they have to be young males, early teens, 20s-ish. Yes. Agreed. Okay, if they were younger, so obviously you've got some, so the Jacksons would have started younger. Um, I think Hanson would have been younger than, than, you know. I still think I would call them boy bands because they are boys and they still had screaming girls. But I the, suppose their market was just yeah, younger. But the important bit is they have to be young men. They're, tar- they're targeted right. at young women, so it's, you know, it can't be. One of those strange things where it's teenage girls falling in love with thirty-year-old men. No, absolutely right. not. And if they lied about if, if if they lied about their ages in order to to, to are we yeah, penalising them? Are we penalising them if they had fibs about their ages, or is that just a marketing ploy? I don't think we need to penalise them for that. I think that's management who does that, really, okay. isn't it? So okay. okay, so they must be singing catchy love songs, mainly about girls. Uh, that express fun, um, maybe a little bit of heartbreak, and there's an implied <laughs> undertone of sexuality in yes. there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All of the above. Yes. Are we going to give extra points for the number of songs they have that contain the word love in the title? Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll need to add an extra column. Um, 
Uh, you have to be able to dance to their music. <laughs> yes. In, what about ballads? Because a lot of these boy bands are very ballad strong, aren't they? Oh, stools and what the the old shoulder dips. And yeah, stuff. and they'll be on TV with a little bit of a smoke machine going on. So I think that we should not necessarily deduct points for boy bands that sit on stools, Westlife, but we could add points for ones that actually do dance routines. Okay, that's a, that, I think that's a category further down. Oh, right, sorry, my bad, my bad. <laughs> um, marketed towards young women. That's, yes. I think that's a that's 100%. given. Yes, okay. yes. Um, dancing, optional? Optional. Uh, they're going to score higher if they dance. Yeah, you know, it, it's nice to have a little bit of... I want my boy bands to synchronise, synchronise, synchronise. <laughs> I want to be there watching them, having spent hours at home learning that dance routine. I was going to say, yeah. I want to be able to see them on stage and for me to go... Dude, I, I know that. I've got this one. I mean, yes. Yes. Signature moves? Is that part of that? Oh, that, I love a signature move. Mm-hmm. Um, my boy band has a... Yeah. Well, tell me, what's it's, yours? It's the, the leg swingy thing. <laughs> Which song <laughs> in is the right, it in? The right stuff. Okay. Um, and also oh. they do a really... They've got <laughs> yeah, a really... <laughs> they have a really technical, again, footwork in um, games. Okay. I'll show you the video later because oh. I can't... Do, Oh, I thought you were going to say, I'll show you, and you were going to stand up and do it. So please, I can Zoe, do it. After you, take the stage. We're not allowed to play songs on the podcast, I'm afraid, Amy. <laughs> so, whose rule was that? Um, instruments. Optional. Absolutely optional. I agree. Um, a carefully controlled image. So their styling, the way their videos are made, and the way they're promoted. Is yeah. that essential, or is that... Does that deny us a more organic boy band i don't mm, i think the organic boy band is quite rare okay i'm trying to think now i think we might be classed as an organic like so you're we've talked about um family boy bands i'd say they're more mm. organic it's just that they happen to hit so your hansons the jonas brothers yeah that 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 would be an organic thing, wouldn't well, it? Well, I mean, not all family boy bands, because the Jacksons were probably... I think their father was quite militant in how <laughs> they were presented. So That's a very delicate way of putting it. Who knows? It, they might have pushy, par- pushy stage parents. OK. Um, so, the style... Back to the style. Trendy, has to be fashionable, has to be... <laughs> <laughs> it's an ironic word, trendy. Um, but it has to be of its time. So when yes. we're looking back and okay. judging, we can't be like, oh my God, dude, why are you wearing flares? <laughs> when at the time that would have been... Honestly, if flares are the worst, we do not it have was a problem the here. first thing I could think of, <laughs> sorry. Um, so the members have to have distinguishable personality. So there may be a bad boy, there may be... The dreamboat, um, the mysterious one, the baby, the forgotten one, you know, the one that everyone's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah him, the one at the back. Um, obviously, it's going to depend on the, on the number of people in your boy band. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah. Break that, take that. So, who would you, what would you... I'm not at liberty to say who... <laughs> which one's which? One. Uh, uh, the wild one, Robbie, probably. Yeah. The baby's Mark. Although he wasn't the youngest. He wasn't the youngest, no. Robbie was the youngest. But Mark was, like, the cute one, He though. did have a baby face, where he had those little chubby cheeks, didn't mm. he? The talent was Gary. Uh, I don't believe talent was one of my <laughs> criteria. Like, you, you, introducing you. Give me you, them again. Give me I, them again. Uh, you give them to baby. me, I'll tell you who they are. Okay, baby. Oh, no, do it again. Do them all. 
baby bad boy, the big brother one, uh, the dreamboat, the mysterious one, or the forgotten one. Oh, God. Okay, well, if we're using those ones, the dreamboat's Howard. Oh. Yeah, because he wasn't my cup of tea back then. Love you, Howard. Um, But he was the one with the really sexy body. And everybody thought he was really lovely. I might have said Mark could have been the... I know Mark Ford's baby. Yes, But he... Oh... This is, we, I don't want us to have fallings out over who's which is, but like you have to be able to distinguish the the, the characters, the mm. personalities within your boy band. Yes, who's it, the forgotten one in your boy band? Look, you're you're doing it to me. I haven't answered. <laughs> who's your forgotten one? I already know. You don't need to say it. It's John. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, I don't ever talk about the bad boy. Thanks. Um. <laughs> For styling, um, coordinated outfits. Yes, absolutely. I feel the coordination of a boy band outfit is absolutely essential. It's essential. Yeah. And what just popped into my head was the Backstreet Boys in their white outfits. Yeah, I've, I've always got a really big thing for when a boy band does a, does a white theme. Um, I believe E17 did it for yes. um, Stay Another Day. Yes, they did. Are we allowing them to not coordinate their outfits if they're taking a gratuitous opportunity to go topless instead? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Or okay. if they're dressing for their personality, which I'm trying to think of a boy band that does that, maybe One Direction, but like the Spice Girls, who obviously is not a boy band, they're a but girl group. they all dressed for their personality i'm sure there must be some boy band but they never so they never marketed themselves as those personalities that was something that um a journalist called peter lorraine came up with yeah that he tagged them they're these five girls and there's the baby one the sporty one but then they really they did play on it yeah Yeah. they did play on it but that was never really their marketing it wasn't their it wasn't their idea so no obvious front man, no one person that's there stealing the limelight all the time. Yeah. They all get their shot at, you know, singing on a record. Yeah. Not all of them. Some of them we know are just there to make up the numbers John. or to have a little bit of a dance. Um, but there's no It's not lead one singer. lead singer with backing yeah. singers. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Okay. Um, sexy, but not too sexy. Example, please. Um, well... They have to be attractive to a teenage girl, but they can't be overtly throwing out their masculinity into your faces because it's a threatening thing. They, they're trying to appeal to girls that are just on the cusp of discovering themselves sexually, and if they're too in your face, that it would be off-putting. So though okay. they need to be sexy, they can't be putting out videos that are, you know, close to porn type thing. Got like, it. I mean, that's I just... That's what I think, that yeah. they, they need to be sexy. There needs to be some kind of sex appeal because that's the ploy. Give me an example, not boy band related, of a video that would constitute almost porn. Oh, maybe I took it too far by saying <laughs> almost porn then. Something with Madonna's 90s stuff would... Say no more. Okay. <laughs> um, they have to come across like they're all really good mates. Yes. Yes. Even if behind the scenes yes. there's punch-ups, some of them don't talk, they refuse to travel in the same cars <laughs> as each other. Yeah. When they're on TV and in magazines, you have to get the feeling that they're the best of friends and it would be great to hang out with them. Agreed. Okay. 
um, they can't take themselves too seriously. No, but they definitely do, again, behind closed doors. Yeah. yeah. But they have to understand what their role is. Yes, they do. Well, that's why boy bands so fall what, to pieces, isn't it? What about boy bands? So, Backstreet Boys never classed themselves as a boy band. Even though they were the epitome of boy bands. Yeah, but they never were comfortable with the tag boy band. I can't remember what they used instead. Vocal Harmony Group. Possibly. Um, but they weren't comfortable with the term boy band. Do Are we downpointing down someone if they never embrace the fact that, dude, this is what you are? If, if they're denying that, do we downpoint? Hmm. Maybe. Let's think about it. Okay. Um, hair. Hair. <laughs> they have to have it. Yes. <laughs> That wasn't where I was going. <laughs> they have to be adventurous. Adventurous? With their hair. I'm thinking... So I know what you're take thinking. Take that <laughs> as Dreadlock face. They were horrendous. Sorry. They were so bad. Um, did not one of O-Town have a little dreadlock yeah, face Jacob as well? Yeah, Underwood. Yeah, he did. Justin had that whole curly hair thing. And Donnie had that quiff bouffantness. Um, his hair was... I'm uh, Sorry. No, backtrack. His hair was amazing then. Those pictures of him with that mat, when he had that, oh, it was good. And he used to put a bandana around it. Do that again? (laughs) (laughs) The non-visual bit. The bit where I just circled my head. No, the way you said bandana. Oh. (laughs) Was I too posh? Bandana? (laughs) So it's bandana. I think I'm going with the manana. I've got no issue with Donnie's quiffage. I'm just illustrating that <laughs> well, he wouldn't do it today. But I don't think any boy band would do it today. It was of its time, like you said yeah. earlier. And it was it was very impressive. Oh, it was great. There's um to um, Nukas on the Block did a um kind of reality TV show called Rock This Boat, which was um season one of Rock This Boat focused on the fans that went on the Nukas on the Block cruise. Mm. Season two of Rock This Boat was again some sets of fans going on the Nukas on the Block cruise, but the guys also took part in that season, so they there was stuff of them getting ready for shows and the bits that they did when they were on their cruise. And there's a great just 20 second clip of Joe literally emptying out an entire can of hairspray on his hair to get it to stay up, and which he was taught to do by Jordan apparently. Jordan also had big hair back yeah, in the day. He did have they big all hair. had great hair back yeah. in the day. Even the ones who had the rat tails. Uh, that, was, that was very early on. Those. We've mentioned those. That before. was early on, and they, they did rectify that quite I want to come soon-ish. back to rock this boat at some point as well because season two never got released in the UK and. I really feel like we're missing out by not seeing it. <laughs> season two was a better season. It oh, it was. Much, yeah. There was this girl in it. I really, really liked her. Anyway, next. Um, we're coming to the end of it. So, lifespan probably is going to be around five years-ish, um, just because your audience is growing up and discovering other things um beyond the boy band they will probably always have a soft spot for you but your the lifespan of your boy band career is going to be around five years are we given extra points if they i mean part of our pointing structure is you get a point for every year you're together Mm -hmm. um but some of them will remain together even when their boy band flame has died a little um are we extra pointing for 
Well, I think an actual we, successful chart topping career that goes beyond the five years. I think we should, but I think you're right. Every boy band seems to have like this peak five year golden spot, if you like. But then there's reunions and what happens after. So yeah, I think we should point for. Um, I think we should point for reunion tours as well as solo careers. Okay. Okay. Cool. And last one. Uh, whenever possible, they must group hug. <laughs> I think that's optional as well, but yes, I like it enormously. <laughs> okay, and that's it. So that's what makes a boy band. Great. Okay, so this week we have a spotlight on Bros, who are our first boy band we're going to deep dive into. Uh, three-piece. Uh, Matt Goss, his identical twin brother, Luke Goss, and their schoolmate, Craig Logan, who was the one that wasn't blonde. Um, the one that everyone said, you know, you know, there's always a ugly one. It's It was Craig. Well, he played bass. And, yeah. You know, bass players. <laughs> um, so, yeah, three-piece. They met at school um, in Camberley. Um, Craig was already in a band. Um and they'd had a band before Bros that was called Caviar. Oh. Um, which they picked because they thought it sounded Inspired. really posh. They just... found out that Caviar was fish eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and then they changed the name. Can I just say that I live very close to Camberley in Surrey. And um, they went to Collingwood College, which was a high school, is still a high school. And all of my... I didn't go to school in there because I, I moved after I finished school. But all my Camberley-based friends went to Collingwood. And that was always their claim to fame. So... The big thing about Bros the past couple of weeks has been that the Bros documentary, so the guys, they reformed in 2016. Just the two, the twins, Matt and Luke, um, after many, many years of them, the two of them not talking to each other. And as part of the build-up to this, they were followed by a camera crew who made it into a film which was on the BBC over Christmas. It's called After the Screaming Stops. It's been uh... what everyone's talking about because... It's a bit bizarre. Um, they're comparing it to Spinal Tap. They're asking, is it a mockumentary? Um, oh, God. It's great, it, but it was really it is. fun. I, I didn't realise it was going to be on the BBC. I think I spent 11 quid on it off Amazon Prime a few months back. <laughs> I think I made you spend <laughs> Yes, you did. Thank you very much for that. But, yeah, you're right. It is really quite odd. I'm, I thought they had full editorial approval... On they the documentary. Did. Oh, right, so they're all right with what we saw. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so we're getting ahead of ourselves because that was only like two years ago. So let's wind ourselves back to... Um, they met a school in Camberley. They formed a band called Caviar. Um, at some point, they found their way into the pathway of um, a record producer called Nicky Graham. He, in turn, took them to Tom Watkins. So Tom Watkins was a huge man. He was the Pet Shop Boys manager. The Pet Shop Boys were massive. Um, I'm... I don't know where this falls in his timeline, whether or not it was he still had them, but he, he very soon was no longer the Pet Shop Boys manager. Yeah. And he had Ross. So these three long-haired, rocker-looking guys roll up into his office and he saw some potential in them. They had long hair. They had long hair. There's a great picture somewhere. We should find it for the Instagram okay. of Bross in their um, hairband days. Um, <laughs> they were, they, you know. I didn't know that. 
So he cleaned them up. He smartened them up. He, he certainly did he that. He gave them their look. So they got their... When we talked about this in the last episode, yeah. their bros cut became very styled, their jeans. And in uh, August 1987, they released their first single, which was I Owe You Nothing. Oh, that came first? Yeah, so that was the first single. It didn't do great. So it peaked at number 88 in the charts. So I thought that was their second one. How interesting. So stay with me. Okay, I'm with you. Follow me along. Mm. Then in November of the same year, they released When Will I Be Famous. Yep, and also, I remember that. No, no, you probably don't remember it from this time. So this time, it didn't do great. So its peak at that time was 62. So this is, as a boy band, when we compare it to how boy bands are measured now, I would imagine if you release two singles and they don't even crack the top 40, your record company would be like, yeah, yeah. guys, we're going to need a chat. Mm. Bros got a second go, so... At the start of 1988, When Will I Be Famous eventually picked up its airplay and it, they went huge. They started to get in their TV, they were putting on smash hits. Um, and these are two very, very attractive... They, yes, know, they were, 18 yes. 18-year-old boys. Identical twins. You know, blonde, blue-eyed, very sleek-looking. Like, they were fit They were fit young lads. Yeah. It feels odd saying that now, but at the time, <laughs> I was... I was 30, <laughs> I was 13. So it was it was appropriate. Yes. Um, and they, you know, they were absolutely smash its target. So how, how on how, how did that happen? How did when will I be famous start at sixty two and then gain traction? I would imagine they started getting TV. Right. And a bit of right. radio. Airplay. Yeah. And yes. once you, so that first video for when will I be famous? So was, they would have just put out a song back in the eighties. They just put out a song with no promo, and it was only later. Oh no! That they, I would imagine this is a Tom Watkins man. So I would imagine, yeah, it had the promo he would have known, there, yeah, and it just took people a while for it to get. You know, this was pre. We had four TV channels. Yeah, that's true. So and you, and actually, Channel Four only came out five or so years before that, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. So and radio stations, you'd have your local. So I mean, Capital Radio was this is Capital Radio was London's. Big, huge radio station. It was. Um, and it was in the days of Pat and Mick. Oh, my God. Who used to do the evening show. Pat, and Ed, Pat Sharp. Pat Sharp. I have worked with Pat Sharp. <laughs> so, eventually, um, it it started to get traction. Mm-hmm. People started to pick up on it. And by January 88, maybe maybe February, um, it hit number two. Oh. And that was it. Bross were off. They were huge. Hang on, hang on. What was number one? Uh, how can you? You're looking at my notes. <laughs> you can see I don't have what was number one in my That's notes. Okay, you you keep going. I so, will. When was it? Uh, I'll, January, I'll find out. Keep talking. Um, yeah. So they followed up um, in March. This is a very quick turnaround for singles as well. So yes. the, you know, the, although it had been put out in November, it only really hit hit in February. You know, they, that's when they just started to get in their top of the pops appearances. Yes. Um, and very soon after, they came out with Drop the Boy. Um, that was the start of March 78. And so again, I remember this, pe- yeah. Peaked at number two. The Drop the Boy video was the one, and there was a great, I'm sure it was going live, it may have been pre going live, where they went with Bross to film the video for Drop the Boy. So the Drop the Boy video was all about them leaping in the air. But you got to see the behind the scenes. It was green screened and it was basically the three of them spent a full day jumping up and down on trampolines. It just looked so much fun. That's, uh, well, uh, you know, I remember vividly going live with Philip and Sarah. And the ozone, that was, I know that was. Ozone's later. Later, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I also realise we're talking about a lot of TV programmes which um, our American listeners aren't going to have a clue about. You should YouTube some of them, seriously. We had great. 
youth TV. None of your Disney schmizney stuff. <laughs> um, I, I t- TV aimed at kids in the UK around this time was excellent. We used to get TV. It was, it was yeah. All day on Saturday, you'd get up at nine o'clock and the TV would be for us until yes. Grandstand at three. Yes. So Grandstand was a sports program. We used to do the football. Um, so following on from Drop the Boy, which went in at number two, they came almost straight out with the album, which was called Push. What was called Push? Their first album. It was. It was. I remember it. Um, and the the cover of the album was basically like twenty shots of them with the big P U S H letters. It won't surprise you that I remember this from that non podcast member, my sister. <laughs> she had she had the bros thing. Um. Also, just while I've I've got you, I found out who was number one and kept bros off the top spot. Go on, tell me. Oh, uh, I think you'll. When I tell you, I think you'll be like, "Of course, it was Tiffany." Oh. I think we're alone now. <laughs> okay. And interestingly, reading down this chart is is Go on, what amazing. Was the top ten that week. Top ten, number one. I think we're alone now, Tiffany. Two. When will I be famous? Bros. Three. Heaven is a place on earth. Belinda Carlisle. I love that record. I love Belinda. Um, four. Sign your name, Terence Trent Darby. Oh my God. Five was Rock the House, featuring the Cookie Crew, which was the Beatmasters. Uh, number six, House Arrest by Crush. Number seven was Olamore by Dollar. Olamore. Number eight, Tele- I would never <laughs> have said Dollar had made it into the top ten. I know. I know. Well, we know them mostly from reality TV here now, so yes, I agree. Um, number eight was Tell It To My Heart by Taylor Dane. Number nine was Shake Your Love by Debbie Gibson. And number ten was Candle In The Wind Live by Elton John. Oh, that so, was pre... Um, that was when it was still Norma Jean Candle In The Wind, obviously. Yes, so, not, not England's Rose at okay, that point, so no. So we're, we're a good eight, nine years ahead of... England's Rose? Yeah, okay. so this was the 31st of January 88 to the 6th of February 88. So, okay. yeah, oh yeah, we were a good nine, so, year, nine years, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> let's not harp too much on <laughs> Princess Diana. <laughs> dead, dead princesses. Definitely not. Okay, okay. continue. So, Sorry. Um... So, Push went platinum. It sold four hundred thousand copies in its first week, wow. which is great. You know, and That's this is a lot. still we're still only at this point. So we're now first week of March. So we're still really only maybe two months into yes, Ross breaking out. Um, and one of the things to come out of after the screaming stops is, and this absolutely got me in the heartstrings. So they um, were rewarded with their platinum discs live on Wogan so Wogan was used to be on every Monday every Wednesday every Friday Terry Wogan national treasure national treasure Irish TV presenter he used to have this live TV show and they'd have bands on all the time it'd be interviewing guests and bands that show was massive though um, wasn't it yeah it used to be on at 7 o'clock three times a week it was huge it was filmed at um, the Shepherd's Bush Empire oh yeah (laughs) where they used to film Wogan how strange um so they went on, they were presented with their platinum discs live on TV. What came out of the After the Screaming Stops is that the day before they filmed that show, they found out, Matt and Luke found out that their sister Carolyn had been killed in a car crash. Yeah. She was hit by a drunk driver and she had died. And because of their obligations, I you know, it didn't go into detail. It didn't say to you who made them do it, but they had this obligation to be on live TV. Mm. So within, you know, 
24 hours of receiving such horrific news they're having to smile and pose and act like these cheeky young chappies mm. that every teenage girl loves and actually when TV. when you watch it back you can see the agony that they're in yeah it's really it's really sad really um, terribly sad which you know these are they're still they were 20 at this point but they're still young lads yeah um being pushed and pushed by management to to keep going because you know this would only last so long they they probably didn't think this would only last so Mm. long but their their management have to have known that there's a lifespan for this boy band and the thing is and we'll get into this more as we go through the weeks um when you sign up to be in a boy band or a girl group or whatever pop star the pop star life you kind of sell your soul to the devil the devil being the management in this case and I think it is changing a little bit now but it it definitely was a question of just money 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 we've just got to make money out of these people yeah and and that's why they eventually boy bands generally they crack they can't cope anymore one of the members will go fuck this I, I can't do it anymore yeah. it's not and, worth and it and having documentaries not so much the Bross documentary, which is them now looking back, mm. but like the the OTAM thing, and you see yes. how much they're worked. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're not making minimum wage. Everyone mm. thinks, oh, these they must be these guys must be raking it in. Yeah. But they're not. No. Um, and we'll, we will look at you know the money and things like that at some point in the future. The you know the good contracts, the bad contracts. Mm. Um, why these people don't come out at the other end of it rolling in you know 10 pound notes on their beds yeah um so yeah after push they um re-released i owe you nothing so first single Uh, so this is when you remember and i owe you nothing came out as a triple record cover which Mm. meant that they did an individual record cover with each of the guys on it so you went out and you brought Oh. The Matt cover, the Luke cover, the Cray cover. There may, oh. there may have even been one that was all three of them together, so it may have been four. There's definitely a Matt, a Luke, a Cray. So how went out many bought... Cray covers do you reckon they sold? I, I don't know how many Cray covers did they produce. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but And I don't know. Like At some point, the UK charts altered so that you couldn't do that kind of thing. Right. So you had to pick which which cover was going to be the one that counted Is towards that your, your sales. they didn't want to create a situation where fans would buy three because they wanted the whole collection. Yeah, well, you'd still buy, you'd buy three because you wanted the whole collection anyway, but at some point, I, I need to... I'll, I'll come back to this in a future episode, but they stopped that marketing tool. They stopped um, bands being able to use those kind of marketing schemes to boost their sales. So if you were putting out three covers, you'd have to pick which cover was going to count towards your record sales. Um... <laughs> So I I have a suspicion that this was pre that. Mm-hmm. Um, I owe you nothing. Went straight in at number one and stayed at the top of the charts for two weeks. Mm. Now they'd have probably done that anyway. Yeah. They you know they they had a fan club. The yeah. worldwide fan club at this point was at six million people. <laughs> so they had done a record signing um, at HMV on Oxford Street where the police estimate the numbers of fans that showed up for this record signing as 130,000 people to what? see they had These to guys were literally massive. They, would sh- they wouldn't they would shut down streets for them. They would shut down cities. So 130,000. And it was HMV. When it, there used to be two HMVs on Oxford Street. This was the one that was kind of up towards the Tottenham Court Road end. 
Um, and it was chaos. It was absolutely <laughs> frantic. I'm sure it was. So they um, followed on. So later on in the year, so and the reason I remember is because this was my birthday, 1st of September, um, BBC Radio switched over to a digital signal. And they did this massive thing in where... In the 80s? Yeah. I'm sure it was a digital signal. Okay. But again, I will verify that. Mm-hmm. They did a signal switch over. Okay. Um, and they promoted this by having Bross fly around the country and, and literally pull a switch. <laughs> so they were helicoptering them across the nation. And they so they oh, went classic. to BBC Broadcasting House, which is Portland Place, which is yes. just up from Oxford Street. Um, 1st of September... I want to say 88. Mm. I don't want to keep quoting years because I'm going to get it wrong again. Yeah. Um, I, I'd had a load of friends over the night before my birthday for a sleepover. Um, and we heard it on the radio in the morning that they were going to be there. And I begged and begged and begged my mum to let us go up. And she was like, I can't, their parents won't let them. And they were kind of like, no, they will, they will. We <laughs> <laughs> up to London. Oh, I love the 14-year-old lies we told no our mums. Um and again, shut down streets. So, like, the whole of that top end of mm. London was just shut off. It was absolutely crazy. It's um, amazing, isn't it? So it's amazing that, that that it was that level. Do you do you think that the, our generation at that time were just crying out to have some outlet to pour their idolism I don't know, into? It was at the same time as kind of. Um, Rave music was becoming big, so yeah. the newspapers that year had just started reporting on these first illegal raves that were happening. So that was um, things for teenage girls to do. I, yeah. just, I don't know. I mean, let's have a. Was was there anything else for teenage girls at that point, music-wise? Um, like specifically aimed at. There would have been. There'd have been other boy bands like Duran like, Duran and Spandau. Yeah, I mean, they weren't quite the same. <laughs> no. Curiosity Killed the Cat had a number one album this year. Mm. Um, they were, but the Bross felt different. Yep. It always felt different. Yeah. Um, so we're still in '88. They do their first UK tour, which is called the Big Push. Um, it sold out. I wonder in... which mastermind came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was fourteen shows, um, and this was at a time when to buy tickets for shows you'd. You'd be on the telephones. You'd have to ring up a little ticket agent pre-internet. On the phone. So yeah, we're, we're absolutely well pre-internet. pre-internet. We're probably pre-computer. I'm trying to think if we'd have had we we had computers at school at this point, but, but not many were, of them. They, no, and they weren't connected to an internet. They were, those they were computers. massive ones that were yeah, rolled they in. They were BBC. It was computers produced by the BBC with a black screen and green text. Yes. So um, oh. you'd do it by ringing up or. Yeah. If you were old enough, you'd go down and you'd camp outside the venue to get your tickets. Yes. And for this, it would be a camping out. The only way to get those front tickets, those front row seats or Mm. anything anywhere vaguely near an actual boy band, (laughs) so that you're not at the top looking at someone that's the size of a postage stamp, Mm -hmm. would be you'd have to be at the venue and you'd camp out. So camping out was a big thing. I have a lot of... Remember the time we camped out for... (laughs) For, yeah, well, do you know my, what? This, my teenagers. this happened in the seventies as well. You hear stories of how people camped out to watch, maybe not the first Star Wars, but certainly The Empire Strikes Back. People were camping out the night before that was released. Wrong. Yeah, and what year was that released? Oh, I want to say. Okay. Useless fact about Zoe: never seen a Star Wars I, film. Well, you know, I'm not surprised, <laughs> but and I don't want to turn this into that. But I think the original Star Wars was seventy seven, and I think Empire Strikes Back was. 
I'm going to say a couple of years later. Let's be vague. But yeah, that kind of thing was happening already. But So I'm not surprised that for boy band people would, especially to get in the front row. I mean, yes, that's yeah, perfectly I can reasonable. even imagine. I went with three girls from school. Um, can remember two of them, can't remember the fourth. Um, Your witch's coven, you can only remember yeah. three of you. <laughs> so I'm not She gonna, made an impression. I, I'm not going to name the two that I can no, remember. No, because then the <laughs> because one... Because the other yeah. one's going to be like, I'm, I'm the one you forget. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. am still in touch with all of these girls. So all the girls that I used to do boss <laughs> stuff with at school... I'm in touch with them, I just don't remember them. But, no, I can't remember which one would have been allowed to go to a oh, show I with see. us. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it was going up. So we went to the Hammersmith Apollo show, which mm-hmm. was um, the one that they made a video out of. So if you've got boss... The Big Push Live, um, filmed at the Hammersmith Apollo. Um, that's you. I'm right at the back. Right. I mean, um, when I say right at the back, I think there was one row behind us <laughs> in the upstairs of Hammersmith Apollo. So like a five thousand seat venue. Yeah, but it's a, um, by these days standards, that's a small, that's an intimate venue. Yeah. So, so. that was that was the 30th of June '88. So we've gone back in time here. So yes. This is pre the when we did the Radio One thing that I just talked about. So yes. So yes. The um tour. and then. They sold that tour sold out so quickly that the venues that they added on to those tour dates was then arenas. So after we did the Apollo, we also went along to Wembley Arena to see them play at Wembley Arena, which was which then became the end of their tour. Got it. Um, so yeah, they were big. You know, Wembley Arena, fifteen thousand ish. Yeah. You know, not bad for a three young kids doing their first ever tour. Not bad at all. No. I think, and also Wembley is such an iconic venue whether it's the stadium or the arena you know people just to say they've played Wembley is that's massive oh yeah that's massive it's the most famous music venue I would say in London don't you think Wembley yeah I think people get mixed up between the arena and the stadium yes so you say I played Wembley people will always in their head picture the stadium 75,000 people in the stadium but the but the arena yeah technically they aren't lying when they say they've played Wembley. <laughs> no, but, but that's what, when you say Wembley, hmm. there's, um, I can't remember if it's in the documentary, a, a bit where people, someone gets that mixed right, up Right, yeah. Oh no, I think actually, I think it was just in doing the research. So during the research, I found an article which talked about them, them playing, playing Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium yes. 15 nights in a row. And I, I was saw like, that. That I'm didn't happen. Yeah. I'm certain that's not true. And for non-UK based... Um, listeners, Wembley Stadium is also the big football stadium where the England matches always play. Like footballs are national sports. It's where it's the stadium you'd have seen from um, Live Aid. Yes, so the, there we go. The England end of Live Aid was at Wembley Stadium. Holds between I think seventy, Although, eighty thousand. That stadium. That stadium's gone now. Oh no! So it's that's that's the old Wembley Stadium. Knocked it down, rebuilt it. So, yeah, but it's still the same iconic. Yeah. Um, same location. So, following on from their UK tour, they then went global. So, they did um, a bit of Europe, they went to Australia, um, not a full world tour, through to September the same year. So, we're still really within the same year. This is Mm. not even a year on from them releasing I Owe You Nothing and it flopping. Yeah. We're we're, we're less than a year. So, September 88, they released their single called I Quit, um, which. Peaked at number four. Um, hmm. Interesting that they yeah. would that it would be number four because the again these it, it days really lends some credence to my 
did they only get to number one because of the triple cover thing? Yeah. But I Owe You Nothing was a much better single than I Quit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it was. So, um, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. um, December. So we're now a year on from when I first met them. December 1988. <laughs> they released. So it was a double A side. It was their attempt at a Christmas single. The f- oh. side A was... Well, the, they were both side A. Um, the f- one of them was Cat Amongst the Pigeons, which I think is probably my favourite Do you know song. what? I, I actually Cat Amongst the Pigeons. Last week when we were talking about... Um, the band that you like with Ben in, I can't remember what they're called. Curiosity Killed the Cat. <laughs> Curiosity Killed the Cat. In my head, I thought it was Curiosity Killed the Cat because I think it was just the cat-like <laughs> thing. And I, I, all week I've been going, who sings that song? But not actually ever getting around to Googling it. And now I remember with prompting from you that it was Bross and I love that song too. Yeah, and I, the video is so calming as well. So is it in black and white or was the single cover black and white? I seem to think I, there was something like that, I don't know. I can't remember. So the other side of it was Silent Night. And, and oh. I mean, Matt's voice really lends itself to Silent Night. Yes. And it's beautiful. And even, like, I'm not even listening to it now. Just in my head, I'm seeing the videos mm. and it's calming me down. Mm, it's okay. just so relaxing. So mm. that was a, they, they didn't, you know, it, it, it peaked at number two. It, they never got the elusive Christmas number one with it. Um, I know Amy will right now look up and tell me who was Christmas number, who beat them to Christmas number oh, one, Amy. Oh, out. Just bear um, with me. Give me a couple of moments. I mean, I feel like um, Christmas songs are just a bit, I mean, they're naff as anything, aren't they? But I, um, yeah, I think that whole uh, trying to get the Christmas number one thing, not because Take That were beaten by Mr Blobby in 1993, but I just think it's all a bit crap. So, okay, I have got the official chart from that uh, Do we need, like, week. some kind of drum roll kind of thing? Maybe. I really just need to know who beat them to number one. This is... Okay, so it was First Time by Robin Beck. Uh, Do you remember that song? <laughs> no! Okay, so it was the Pepsi advert, and I wish I could sing it. I wish I could sing on a podcast, but it was on the Pepsi advert. It was massive, it was absolutely everywhere, and it was it probably number one. feel very Christmassy. No. I, I feel that they but were, Christmas they were, they were one, done out of it. Christmas number one is never Christmassy. Uh... <laughs> Actually, I'm remembering back now when Jackie Wilson was number one for Christmas with Reek Petit, I think. So <laughs> you're, you're probably quite right. I bet if we looked oh. at it year by year, <laughs> who oh. actually got the Christmas number one. I don't know if it's, this is the same in the US, having the Christmas number one. I don't know if they put as much uh, in, like... Well, it's been it's been ruined here by Simon Cowell, anyway. Yeah, with... Um, the X Factor. Yeah, because it's... Although his X Factor people haven't really had it for the last few years. Have no, they? because X Factor but is the, over. Getting the get, Christmas number one thing in the UK is um, it's a huge deal. Yeah. So uh, you know you'll get a absolute swathe of singles released like that week or two weeks before Christmas because people want the Christmas number one just because the amount of publicity and you know things that bands would get off it. Would... Thing is though is that um, the public in particular in the last few years have um, revolted. <laughs> and they're, we've they're like, been revolting fuck you Cowell we are going to make sure that you do not get the Christmas number one with your X Factor bullshit and I this year it was a man singing about a sausage roll yeah. <laughs> lad baby from um, social media 
I don't really like him to be honest, but I I, I, I get the humour behind it. We'll look into it because I know Wham with Last Christmas also didn't get the Christmas they didn't. number one. No, you're right because of Band Aid. Mm. Um, don't wonder if there's ever take that didn't get it because of Mr Blobby he's 17 staying over there could also, have been no it wasn't so I, I'm, oh. I'm positive it wasn't because of and I can't remember who beat them I wonder if there is a Christmas number we'll, so we'll, it, do, we'll do an episode on Christmas yeah. number ones <laughs> in 12 months time yes Just well 11 yeah. months time yeah but um what I was getting to was that we there was an internet campaign to beat the X Factor winner to number one, and it was an old Rage Against the Machine song made it to number one. Was it um, Killing in the Name of? Oh, possibly. I, I remember the one the year before <laughs> when whoever the X Factor was released Hallelujah. How there Alexandra was a campaign Burke. to get another version of Hallelujah to number one. The Jeff Buckley version. Yeah. Which yes. I still have on my iPod. Oh, was it every Jeff- time it- no, 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 it wasn't. It was the Leonard Cohen version. The Leonard Cohen version um, rather than the Alexandra yeah. Burke version. So it's now this little kind of little bit of rebelling with the, the UK charts. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it doesn't have quite as much standing as it used to no but back in the it was massive 70s 80s yes. 90s, getting the christmas number one was huge yes um so we this is around the time that so the the boss is still doing their european tour it's called the global push um and around this time um craig falls ill he um he's being carried on and off stage he's having to do the show sat in a chair um and it's eventually discovered that he has um what at the time was called emmy um, but it's now known as chronic fatigue syndrome. I think it's known as both, but they've covered it up, didn't they? Management hushed it up. Oh yeah, absolutely. They didn't want to, you know, they didn't want it known that they'd worked. They'd worked him into paralysis. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Probably not something you want to push about. So, um, and at the same time, so he at this point was dating. Kim Appleby of mm-hmm. Mel and Kim fame. Yep. You know, Tay, Tay, Tay. You can't sing. Oh, I can sing. You can't sing. Like, that was three Tays. <laughs> you can't sing. You can't sing. If you cut out my three Tays, <laughs> I quit you. Um, so um, he's dating Kim Appleby at the time that uh, her sister Mel is, you know, she's going through cancer, which yeah. eventually kills her. And he obviously weighs up his options and decides he no longer wants to be a member of Ross, so he quits. Um, and this is where a lot of their legal ructions come into and, and Greg starts questioning the contracts and um, he quits Bross and they tell him that rather than you've worked for a year, you've had all these number ones, you've sold this many singles, you've sold, you know, you've got six million people in your fan club, uh, he doesn't walk away with a paycheck at the end of the day. He's told that he owes them money, like you're breaking a contract, um, and he's told he has to pay his way out of it. So Craig starts, you know, he sues them. He, yeah. he sues, what were his two best friends from school? Well, weren't, didn't, weren't they trying to sue him, and then he sued them back? Um, I'm not sure. Mm. The, the, I, I, my understanding was they were trying to sue him for leaving... And the money that he alleg- his contract, allegedly yeah. right he signed right. a management contract for it right. will be however many years, um, and <laughs> he starts to question actually where has all this money gone? Mm. Why why are you saying I owe you money? You've earned millions off of us. How how am I not yeah. you know sitting in a nice little Porsche outside my big mansion? So yes. um, Craig eventually leaves. Um, he goes through a few legal cases he ends up with a one million pound payoff so he does yeah you know for royalties yeah yeah and merchandise and things like that yeah they were chilling there was shops were shifting out merchandise like nobody's business um i'm fairly certain at one point i had a bross pillow did you yeah 
Did you use that at the same time as your new kids on the block duvet cover? Uh, I didn't have a new kids on the block duvet cover. I have several new kids on the block duvet covers now, but I never had one back in the day. <laughs> oh, That's I a different did, okay. story. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring out their second album without Craig. Was um, it really? He was only with them for one album. Yeah. So he was just on push. Wow. Um, so there's a big gap. Um, whether the big gap's covering up the contractual issues, mm-hmm. whether the big caps just them going into the studio. They they insisted that on their second album they had more ability to write their own stuff. So Which can be know. good and can be bad. Yeah. I mean all, practically all of the first album was written by Nicky Graham and Tom Watkins. Um and you know, the stuff's good. They obviously had a very good talent for writing it. And and you wanna question you know, I can understand why they wanted more of a creative input on it, but yes. you're you know there's obviously something in place that's working for you. Yes. Like you're selling hundreds of thousands of singles and albums and, you know, why you wanted to break that, it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, So their first single without Craig was Too Much. It was released in July 1989. I can't tell you that I even remember that. Um, I probably couldn't. I don't think I could sing it to you. Well, if you asked me to sing it, I would launch into the song by the Spice Girls that's called Too Much. So. Um, Although it did, it peaked at number, at number two. So it did end up being their last, the last time they had a top five single. Wow. So whether or not, you know. <laughs> their fame <laughs> was massive and really fast, but really short-lived, wasn't yeah. it? Which, you know, so in our, in our point scoring, like for their, from when they started to when they stopped. Yeah. The, the point scoring for, for that bit of it, it's, you know, they don't score massive points, but for their UK chart positions, they're yeah. pointing really well. Yeah. You know, they're getting top ten singles, they're selling hundreds of thousands of copies. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they're, they're doing great there. Not in the US, they didn't, they, a couple of them, when Might Be Famous, I think, made it into the top ten dance charts. Mm. And a couple of the others, some remixes and stuff made it into the yeah. US dance charts. But we're only looking at the, you know, yes. the, the main chart. And then a month later, 19th of August, 1989, we're at Peak Bros, they play... Wembley Stadium oh. to seventy-seven thousand people. Oh, so they did play Wembley Stadium. They did play Wembley Stadium. Right. Eventually. Okay. It was it was a one. It was a single show. Um, it would need it to be. It was called Into Summer. I was there. Um, I, it was. I mean, it wasn't a sellout. You weren't. You know. Yeah. Bashing people for space. Um, yeah. But it was a full stadium, and it was a really good show. Mm. Um, really, really enjoyed it. But this is the start of, you know, their last singles. Yeah. Too much. It's never, the start never of the decline. The, yeah, never yeah. crack the top five again. Yeah. Play Wembley to 77. And then, so then they go over and try and do America. Mm. So they support Debbie Gibson. Right. They're not received very well. Um, you oh. know, it's just girls there to see Debbie Gibson. They don't, they're not really impressed by our, our little oh. British boy bands at all. And at this time in the States, they've got their own boy band coming yes. in. So yeah, yeah. we're the middle of 89 now. So the, yeah. the US have got They've got new kids on the block. They yeah. don't. They don't need our identical twins who <laughs> look, you know, look a bit Stepford probably. Um, they probably look like really good boys next to the new kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. A bit prissy. <laughs> yeah, they. You know, they're dressed in jumper goatee jackets and stuff like that. You know. Yes. Um. So, October eighty nine, next single, Chocolate Box, only makes number nine. Following single. December 89, Sister, which is a tribute to Carolyn. Oh, bless her. Um, 
still cracks a top 10, but only at number 10. So we're, yeah, you know, and then fast forward through to March 1990, we're really coming to the end of it now. Yeah. Um, and Madly in Love, which actually is also another on those records that I'm like, I love that song so right. much. I could still sit here. You won't allow me to sing, <laughs> but if you did, I could sit here and sing. But that only makes Do you know what? number I can, 14. I can turn the mic off and you can sing it, <laughs> sing to, me. it to me. I don't mind. Um, and around this time also, they switch managers. So they oh, switch okay. from Tom Watkins and they sign a new contract with John Reed, who's the guy that um, was the business manager for Elton John. Right. Following year 91, they release another single, Only Makes Number 12, and then their third and final album, which is called Changing Faces, comes in September 91, and it only reaches a high point of 27 on the chart. So right, we're, we're yeah, really at the yeah. end of it. They, they didn't officially split until 92. Um, apparently Matt uh, Luke said to Matt, I'm done, it's not fun anymore. Yeah. You can kind of see it's yeah, not. Yeah, not yeah. They not have the adulation. They probably still attract big crowds when they do stuff, but mm. it's not... They're not shutting down Oxford Street for signings. How on earth um, do you go back to normal life after having that level of success? Yeah. Um, um, the way Luke speaks about it in After the Screaming Stops, mm. when he talks about... So he he left. So he told Luke, uh, Matt he was done. Yeah. Um, and within two days of that, he's having his car taken off his driveway. Mm. And he's having to ask his fiance for her ring back so they can pay the bills. So they're, yeah. you know, they've been going I think four that, years at this that... point. Four years of selling singles. And all right, the, the single sales have been getting lower. They've yeah. not been charting as well. But they're still generating money for a record mm. company. You, four years of hard work to suddenly find out you've got no money. And when they look at their contracts... I mean, again, the guys... You know, they never declared bankruptcy, but they owed a lot of money. Yeah. The two of them between them were determined to pay off all their debts yes. without having to declare bank. When you declare bankruptcy, all your debts get written off. You pay like a penny in the pound. So you owe someone a hundred quid, you pay them a pound. Yeah. Um, they were determined that they they fulfill well, no, all their they're, debts. They're, the the fallout of declaring yourself bankrupt is, it's just horrific. You can't yeah. get a bank account. You can't get credit. You just, it's a, its just a nightmare, so I can understand why they wouldn't want yeah. to do that. And they had a contract with Tom Watkins, which, if you believe what you read, mm-hmm. he took 20% of their earnings. Not Which is actually standard for the music industry. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but that is quite he, a standard. So he's taken his 20% and then all the debts, so all the fees for tour. So if their tour is, um, I've got it here somewhere, so um, a typical piece of Bross business was their British tour in 88. It grossed 1.62 million. It cost 1.3 million, um, and their management took 286 thousands. Which means at the end of that tour, that sold out in an hour, 14 venues, and they then added the arenas on. So at the end of that tour, where they played to hundreds of thousands of people, they still had between the three of them five grand debt. Which isn't a lot. It's not it's a big debt, but when you look at how much <laughs> work bonkers. they've done, it's... they've got no money at the end of it. And you know, so many musicians and artists that you'll speak to will say that, oh, the artist always gets screwed over, etc., etc. And again, I think that is changing now, but it's it's kind of true when you look back over this yeah. sort of thing. I mean, the biggest thing, so when I'm doing the research for all of this, and I looked at where we are in, in time and space at this mm. point, so I've looked up things that happened in the UK in 87 and 88 and one of the things I found was that the average price of a house in mm-hmm. 1988 cost £60,000 yeah. but then I see a little snippet of a quote from Luke where it's saying that his expenses were £70,000 a week 
That's crazy. It's like, what? I, I don't understand what you're spending it on. And I get, if you're <laughs> not business-minded, you think, I'm doing all this work, I'm I'm going to have loads millions of money of forever, yeah. I must have a lot of money. You know, he was employing two bodyguards and a personal assistant and spending money on jewellery. So, you know, getting through... Uh, Getting through more than a house a week yeah, that's is a lot. Absolutely so you can bananas. See where you know, what is the average house price now in the UK? Just out of interest. Now I don't know, two hundred and something. I would guess. I think it's more than that, you know. Although it might not, because the market's due okay, to drop. While you look that up, I'll talk <laughs> you through very quickly through post boss. So, um, Luke stayed within the music business. He formed a band called Luke Goss and the Band of Thieves. Um, they released two singles in 1993 neither of them cracked the top 40 one got to number 68 one got to number 52 wow um, this was Luke's long hair period so he went it wasn't hair band long hair I really really want to see it um, there's some great pictures of Luke's long hair period and Matt also continues recording solo stuff um, neither of them you know make great shakes on the charts yeah carry on Craig in the meantime has moved into music business management so he's Mm. through all his legal wranglings of trying to get out of the contract he started paying attention to what's going on he's educated himself yeah. and um, he ends up becoming the head of RCA Records that's crazy um, isn't he it he now runs his own management company but he's worked with his manager so he's done um, work, work with Robbie Williams he's done work with Tina Turner he's managed Pink so yes. he's out of the three of them done the best the one that's taken their experience they had with Bross and utilised it and done the best out of it is the one that everyone was like oh the, the he was in the one. background yeah, yeah. but they are, I mean he probably walked away with the most as well if he got a million pounds yeah, allegedly <laughs> out of his legal yeah. settlement so I've got the average um, house price in the UK and you well, you were wrong it's uh, £212,000-ish I just wanted to give it some context so that, you know, people... In dollars? Oh, my God. Hang I'm on. I'm going to do it now for you. Currency converter? I I don't think it's as much as that, is it? <laughs> because of Brexit. Because, yeah, because the exchange <laughs> the rate is worth. so poor. I mean, honestly, Americans, if you're looking to come to the UK, come now. Your dollars are really, oh, really... $268,000 yeah, okay. is the average house price now. So imagine spending that hmm. a week. No. no. Imagine... Um, so, so Craig's doing exceptionally well. He's yeah. dating all these people. He dated uh, Danny Minogue. Yes. Who else did he, he go went, out I with? think he went out with Kim, Kim Appleby for quite a long he, time. Yeah, they were together for a long time. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they were married, actually, were they? Uh, that, I don't know. No. He, I mean, he remained very private. He never, he's spoken in the last couple of years yeah. about what he's doing, but uh, as a, a byproduct of the Bross reunion and everyone's like oh, it's not a reunion with Craig yeah um, so he spoke a couple of times and never really touched that but I can understand it. he had this you know flash of fame where he could not leave the house yeah and his his takeaway from that is actually I, I, don't, I don't want people to know about what I'm doing yeah so um, and Matt, it made him really really ill so yeah. mm. um, Matt has done Vegas he had um, a residency residency at Caesars yeah. Palace I yeah. think he's now moved on to the MGM um, and Luke has cut his way as an actor. Um, he's mm. made about 50 films. He's done a couple of, you know, I think he's written one. He's done some direction. And that's all yeah. And then that brings us up to 2016 when they announced the reunion. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, that the Wembley show, no, it wasn't the Wembley, was it? It was O2. O2, it was the they O2 did, show. yeah. Um, sold out in seven seconds. What? Now, <laughs> do you know what? I don't buy that because the websites crash and people think they're sold out. Yeah, but 
it actually ended up that there's a belief that it was mainly brought out by touts who thought they'd make a lot of money Ugh. with this because when you then fast forward to 2017 so they did the show 19th of august 2017 which yep. was the anniversary of the wembley stadium right show. yes um and it wasn't empty but the the tickets were selling where by people in the, the days after were mm. like i'm gonna have to pay 500 quid for this mm. they're now getting them from a fiver right um and off the back of that very fast sellout they announced a tour so it was a uk tour which eventually um, and I don't 100% know it's due to low tickets. They said it's due to production and staging issues. It was mm. brought down to there was a show in Manchester and there was the show at the O2. I've heard this before in Australia from Take That production issues yeah. when they cancelled a show. But I can't sit. So it's on, definitely tickets. On sales. after the screaming stops, when you look at kind of the pyro and thing like things like that yes. that, that they had the visuals of, I can see how maybe some arenas are. It's not going to happen. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> I call, I call I smell bullshit. I, I don't want to call bullshit on my first what's technically my first boy band. Yes, yes. So the first band that I used to follow, like I'd go and try and see them. Mm. I met them at the you know the, the disco, and then within a, a month, two months of of me having met them, yeah, they were you Massive. know had gone meteoric. So yeah, it was yeah. almost impossible. I did the sitting outside Matt and Luke's house thing. Did I did the going down to Bray Studios. Did so you see them outside their no, house? No, I, I only did it a couple of times and it was always packed with people. Yeah. Um, Again, that's in the documentary and, and it looks Matt awful. at one point had a flat in Maida Vale. We used to go up there. We saw him a couple of times up there. Mm. Um, they used to do recording down at Bray Studios, which is in Windsor, just down the road from here. Yeah, yeah. So we went down there once. I remember going down there doing... And it was absolutely peeing down with rain. Mm. It was awful. Um and we didn't see him there either. So it was there was a lot of you'd find out information, but they were kept so you know, bodyguards driven yeah. from here there. And it, I mean, it's um, it was hard. Mm. It was it was a really hard follow, but we're moving. So Wembley Stadium was the nineteenth of August, nineteen eighty nine. Mm-hmm. We're only at this point mm. seventeen days away from my second boy band. Wow! So seventeen days later. <laughs> My boy band coming to the UK for the first time. Yeah, of course. And I, the fifth of September. I am moving on. So yeah, not that I'm fickle. You ditched them. Not that I'm fickle. You no, ditch her. There was always a, a, an effort to try and go and see a meet Bros. Mm. And I would have done, you know, shows and things like that. Carried on, but it was just hard. It yeah. was. It was. It was still at a time where, unless you had someone on the inside, finding the information was difficult. Yeah. For Bros, because that information was kept. Unless they wanted a crowd and they yeah, wanted. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it was a hard follow. Mm. And how do you feel now, looking back and, like, watching the documentary, especially of the footage of the old days and stuff? I'm always looking for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I would do. <laughs> um, and there's a couple of girls in the footage from outside his house. There's a couple of girls that I recognise. Yeah. Um, one of the girls, which is, has been on the New Kids on the Block cruise in the last few years. Ah. Um, yeah. I don't know, it was it was a good time for me. Mm. It was really fun to do, hanging out with friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'd pack ourselves off up on the train to Waterloo and then, you know, off on the tube to wherever. Um, it was fun, I really enjoyed it. Oh, do you know it. what, I think, that's, I think that's a really important point as well, that people often don't really think of, especially people who aren't kind of entrenched in the boy band mania world. But part of the fun is the social side of it and the friends you make and yeah, the bonding yeah and the, and the, and the excitement yeah. 
you know you're you're bonded in your and you've got this mutual interest if you like and the excitement that you feel when you know you're going somewhere to see a slash your boy band together mm. it's such good fun and you can sit and queue for 12 15 hours oh, whatever some of the and best times i ever had was those sleeping outside wembley arena right you know in the freezing cold to get tickets because yeah. you were all there you knew that everyone there like, no one was looking down at you for sleeping outside no. the arena because they're all doing the same thing to see you know the same what? people. It's, we, a, um, it's, a really, it's, a, it's an experience that really brings you together with it, other people. It does. It's, it's a finding your <laughs> tribe. It's finding mm. your, you know... Your pack. Your, your matching yeah. weirdos. Totally. It, we were at um, the O2 a few years ago queuing for Take That to get to the front row. And... Um, we popped into, I think it was Costa or whatever that's next door to get coffee or food or whatever. And we could hear a group of people going, I don't know why they don't just buy tickets in advance. And we were like, oh, they don't get it at all. Like, we've all got tickets. Yeah, we, we just, just... want to be in there first and down the front. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But it, people people who don't get it will never get it. No. In the same way that I... So I, I don't get... so. Going back to what I said earlier, I've never seen Star Wars. I don't get Star mm. Wars. It's not aimed at me. No. But I completely appreciate people's, people's obsession. That, that do get it. They, yeah, the passion. Into it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's allowed, you know, allowed a thing, two things, three things, four things. Do you know I, what? I have no well, right like... to judge someone just because I don't. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. into their thing. A friend of mine a few years ago, a musician, a drummer who has performed with a number of high profile artists said to me um well he was kind of asking me about take that and saying how how crazy he thought I was and he said but you know it's your passion and I said yeah it is I said what are you passionate about so I thought I'm gonna flip it back on him what are you passionate about and he said I don't think I am and I was like you you, you've got no passion and he was like I don't think I do and I went isn't what about music because you know you're a professional musician and he was like um yeah but that's my job so yeah I love it but it's my job and I was like so you have no passion that's really sad don't you think that's really sad and he went yeah I think it is really sad (laughs) (laughs) but he from that day on he never took the piss out of me at all he was always just like oh it's Amy's thing and we've had some brilliant laughs over the years where I left my phone in a room and somebody found it and he pushed the button to see whose it was and pictures and tweets of Gary all came up on the home on the lock screen he was like oh I know whose this is and things like that you know and it's been really fun but yeah I I just think that do you know who supported me most for wanting to go and see Bross this was my brother like so when I was 13 14 wanting to go up into London and my mum was like oh I'm not really sure um when she was still worried about you know me that eventually wore off but my brother always used to take me yeah so when we went to that radio one thing mm. my brother traveled up on the train with us he buggered off for a couple of hours probably shoplifting um <laughs> <laughs> no i take think... that back but he he was and he yeah he was the one would sit outside in a car outside a you know do you think he did that because he loved you or do you think he did it because he understood your need and passion and desire to be there i don't know it's really hard to pinpoint why mm. or he just wanted an excuse to not have to be at home yeah. I don't know <laughs> not that home was bad don't get me wrong but you know we were both he was you know, older than you right yeah yeah, two years yeah. So, um, and would get grounded a lot so oh, okay if he, you know he probably just really wanted to get out in the car yeah. just go for a drive so yeah oh bless him 
Yeah, it's good to have good people around you when uh, you have this sort of thing because it's exhausting if you've just got people mocking you all the time. Not that we can't handle that because we <laughs> totally can. <laughs> okay, so, so anything was, anything no, left to say about Bross? No, so we, did we talk about Matt in Vegas? We did. Matt mentioned Vegas, Matt in Vegas. Luke's do we need films. to talk about the fact that they're identical twins and don't look the same anymore? <laughs> um, I think they do look the same. Do we think that Matt might have had a bit of a, Actually, no, you say a that. tweak or I've a nip? Always been able to tell the difference. Yes, between you so can. That whole identical twin bit. Um, I've always been able to tell the difference. And even looking back now, looking back now, think, you can see. Oh, you know, I'm not looking at pictures of them every day. I might not know. Even now, I'd be able to go. You know that. That's, I that's I have look. in the last couple of weeks since I've been you know looking at Bross stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I can easily see the yeah. difference, but. You know, Luke's bored now. Matt's not. Maybe that's a license. Maybe it's nature, not nurture. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's the opposite. <laughs> so, yeah, so that is um, Bross. We just need now to talk about the score. What score? Oh, okay. So, Bross. Let me open up the spreadsheet. Let's see where they uh, where they feature. Okay, Zoe, we've consulted the spreadsheet, your spreadsheet. Um, so why don't we first talk about the categories and for our point scoring? Okay, this is um, it's fluid. We may bring some more in, take some out. No, we'll, we'll, this will be the basic categories yeah. that we're going with. So they will score for their UK chart positions. So if mm-hmm. uh, a single or an album got to number one, they are going to get points on that, and it's a decreasing. So if it yeah. only got to number... Five, it will be less points. If it only got to number 67, it's yeah. less points for that. Yeah, yeah. So that's for the UK and the US. Obviously, for Bross, didn't chart in the US, so they're getting no points this week for that. Their longevity. So from when they first started, even this is before they signed with anyone, when they first started to when their official breakup is. Yes. So a point per year. Um, and then Reformation. Have they got back together... How many years have they been back together successfully working? Mm-hmm. So that, that that's scored as well. Yeah. Um, style, which is me and Amy. Yeah, that's our opinion. Absolute style gurus. We here. have some power here. Um, <laughs> deciding, uh, and with Bros, I I can't remember any any look that they had that makes me look back and go, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, you're not impressed by the Grolsch bottle tops. I but mean, that was just a thing, and that, it was just a thing. I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So after style, we have got... Um, points for losing a member. Did someone leave and how many years of you being together did you lose them for? Yeah. So we, in this case, um, Craig left after three years and mm-hmm. they carried on for three years without him. So they're, they're losing points because they, they managed to lose a member. Yeah. Um, do they play their own instruments? Do they write their own songs? And how successful their post-boy band careers have been? Again, that's kind of subjective, but yeah. it's our podcast, so we can make it up. <laughs> um, so in this case, Craig, brilliantly successful in the route that he chose. Yeah. Matt eventually got a Vegas residency, yes. and, and Luke has been working steadily in Hollywood. So they, mm. they all quite, you know, not necessarily... Music, you know, but entertainment. They're, they're not grade-A celebrities, yeah. but... <laughs> that's okay. They're, they're, they're working successfully in a career that came out of them being in a boy band. 100%. Yeah. So so what is the total score on Bross? So Bross's total score is 99.5 points. So 99 and a half. That seems like a credible score to me. And, and where do they sit in our chart currently? Uh, well, first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
number one out of one. So our first uh, boy band that we've we've delved deep into are at number one, shockingly. <laughs> um, so yeah, hope that might change. Hopefully it will when uh, we get to do the, our favourite boy bands. Um, but maybe not. Maybe it won't. Maybe so, Bross will be our ultimate boy band. Um, our next boy band is going to be... I, I'm going to get you to guess whether or not... Because I'm the one doing all the points going, so you don't know. Um, our next boy band is going to be... Amy's going to take charge of this one because mm-hmm. I had no idea who they were. And our next boy band is going to be LFO. Yes, so yes. So where do you think? Do you think they're going to crack in at number one? Mm, or? I'm... Oh, it's a, Mm, no, I think <laughs> it's so hard though because they're an American boy band. They were one of Lou Pearlman's. Um, so there's stable. a good chance that they're they're gonna score quite highly on the the US chart Possibly, positions. possibly. Who knows? We'll just have to wait. <laughs> probably and see. not on style. <laughs> oh come on, they look great. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to look at pictures. You're gonna have to send me some Google image links. I will. Don't you okay. worry about that. Yes. Okay. Good. So is there anything else we need to talk about from the week, Zoe? How's it been? Um, it's all right. Thank you for everyone that uh, started following us on Instagram and Twitter. We've been tweeting out some little, um, what I like to call boy bands out of context. Mm-hmm. Just taking uh, quotes from them or lines from their records, which I just find bizarre. I've yep. been making inspirational memes out of them. I really um, like the Conquer one that Matt Goss did. And actually, he was talking about that on Twitter this week, which just made me laugh. I... I yeah, I was very much. I, Matt started a full discussion with all of his Twitter followers about <laughs> Conkers as I was on the way home from work last night. Found it incredibly amusing. And um, can I do a um, boy band stalking update? Yes. So one of our Instagram followers this week was the the one, the only Terry Coldwell from E17. Yes. Followed us after we posted a um, one of my inspirational quotes, which is, and I just it's the. E17 classic line, which is, yeah, I buy the toast, if you lick the knife. Nice. What does, that, what does it even mean? I don't know. It's from Deep. It's one of my favourite. Very good. Records. Um, so, yeah, Terry followed us, and um, in my pursuit of boy band phone numbers, <laughs> I sent him a quick message to thank him for the follow, as is only polite. Yes, we've and... We've both been well brought up, and Terry um, is, has agreed to be interviewed by Yay! us at some point in the future. How exciting. I've um, not had the full exchange of boy band numbers yet, because I said to him, we're not quite ready for E17 yet. You're, I... I I told him I think we're a big hitter. Like he's like he's an inner big one of our big hitters. Yeah, they so are, yeah. we're gonna do them later when we're more used to it. We're you know, yeah. we've got our research down. Um so I said to him we'll be back in touch when when we're coming up to doing that episode. So Great, how I've, exciting. I've, so, number one. Yeah, so one first week in. boy band member collected. <laughs> okay, well you're setting the standard here now, Zoe. So that's week one, first boy band member in. So next week, who knows? Follow us on Twitter, which is at the boy band pod. Uh, find us on Instagram, which is uh, at I'm with the boy band. Uh, you can email us at theboybandpod at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget to um, rate, review, and subscribe however you're listening to us. Leave us a little review, give us a five star or a one star. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Only rate us if you think we're good. If, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't, don't rate us. We don't want your one star rating. We, we do want the listen for sure, but we don't need that rating. Come on, we're new to this. We are amateurs. So, you know. And the only way to find out when we're doing your boy band is subscribe. So, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week with LFO. Bye! Our theme music is Dance With You by Fire and Lights from the Songs About a Girl trilogy by Chris Russell. Visit songsaboutagirl.com. Also, we'd like to give a huge thank you to Bross for doing such a fantastic documentary and sharing their story with the world. 